5: and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University.
6: And as we see, our new intro is not yet uploaded. I'll make sure to put that on the list of things that Justine needs to do before she leaves in two weeks for Costa Rica. Because we don't have the Wise Woman University anymore, just for starters. It's the Wise Woman School now, and there's lots of fun things there. So go and check that out. If you're used to the Wise Woman University, check out the new thing that we're doing And of course, she hasn't mentioned the new book abundantly. Well, it's not quite ready yet, but it's getting closer day by day, day by day, closer, closer, closer. If you pre-ordered and hoped to have your copy by October fifteenth, we hoped to have it to you by October fifteenth, but that is not happening. But you will get your copy. We haven't forgotten you. Hey, Rebecca. Hi. Hi. Good evening. We miss you last
7: week. Yeah, I thanks for was, Justine for sitting
6: Yeah, in. <laughs> I heard there was some some difficulty there with your doggy.
7: Yeah, he uh he got hit by a car. He he kinda he ran outside when I was um saying hello to my friend. She was stopping by to pick something up and we went down the street and got him and then he just went under a pickup and um the woman didn't see him who was driving by and um yeah he fractured his pelvis. So he has been in some pain, and um, we've been doing – I I got your message. And unfortunately, he won't drink the comfrey, but I have been com- compressing. He's a very, like, finicky kind of eater, unfortunately. Like, he won't eat, like, milk and stuff like that. But I have been compressing comfrey on his uh, his pelvic region and um, using some tallow that's been infused with comfrey and – He had like this really dark purple bruising on his thighs and legs, and I've been putting that tallow tallow comfrey on there, and it's the bruising's pretty much all gone now. It's amazing after just one week.
6: All right.
7: Yeah, yeah, and I mean he's he's able to go to the bathroom himself, which is really amazing he just he's a 12 pound dog too so i mean he's i can't believe how strong of a constitution this dog has you know to get hit by i think it was like a subaru forester and and he's you know already bouncing back so it's pretty amazing wow thanks for sharing all that with us Mm -hmm. yeah yeah thank you for your message i appreciated that
1: oh absolutely yeah
6: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a pretty and, interesting. Tonight, okay. tonight, we are going to be talking with Sheila Kamara Hay, who is a visionary and a coach devoted to unveiling the ecstasy in every moment. She is the founder of the global ecstatic birth movement. She is a longtime sister goddess. She empowers women to. Honor their fierce female power and to rebirth Mm -hmm. themselves in pleasure. Stay tuned. Sheila Camera Hay will be here talking to us about ecstasy and pleasure at 9 o'clock East Coast Talk.
7: Yeah, I'm excited to hear from Sheila. There's a woman that's in my women's circle that she's like one of her main teachers and she's all about, you know, pussy empowerment and, you know, finding joy through that through the kind of pussy portal. So, she she's always sharing um little tidbits of what she's been learning from from Sheila. So, I'm excited to have her on tonight. Gosh, at this point we should have queued up my vagina is
6: 5 miles wide, right? <laughs> you know that song? What is
7: And what is that?
6: It's a song called My Vagina is Five Miles Wide.
7: I guess maybe. I don't think I've heard that song, but I'll look it up. It's a
6: woman. I think she lives in Oregon, actually. Her name is uh-huh. Storm.
7: My vagina
6: is five miles wide. Everybody can come inside. If you're frightened, just come and hide. My vagina is five miles wide. <laughs> she oh doesn't sing it. She has everybody singing. it. She has the men singing it. It's really a fabulous YouTube
7: Oh, wow. Okay. I can't wait okay. to check it
6: out.
7: <laughs> <laughs> and all the listeners, too, I'm sure. Right.
6: And for more Pussy Power resources, check out down there. Yes, indeed. It's not all about bladder and prostate. It's about Pussy Power, too. As a matter of fact, one of the cards mm-hmm. I had hanging above my desk where I worked on down there was a wonderful postcard, and it said, Act like you have diamonds between your legs. Yeah. That was the message I wanted to convey to women in downtown. Mm
7: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a kind of lifelong path of empowerment for me is to, you know, um, get in touch with that, that area and be, you know, like empowered through it too, so... I appreciate all of your writing, and it's amazing. Every time I've seen that book someplace, it, it's sold out. Like, every time it gets, like, put back on the shelf, it's always sold out. Everywhere I've – like, up at uh, Brighton Bush and at my local health food store and at the store here, our local book store here, it's always uh, – every time it comes back on the shelf, it gets sold out again. So <laughs> it's making its way around.
6: hmm. Mm. Well, last week we were not able to talk to all of the people who had questions, so perhaps we should get a slightly earlier start this week. What do you think?
7: Sounds good, and I'll remind the callers to press 1 if you have a question for Susan. And um, I'm going to see if this one caller that has been waiting on here since uh, I called in about 15 minutes before, um, if they're going to press 1. Yes, I think they are. So, and we have uh, three callers in the eight four five with their hands raised. So the first caller, the prefix is six eight eight. Uh, Good evening. Hi, Hi, good evening,
8: Um, and and I'm so sorry to hear about your dog, Rebecca. I am going to keep him in my good thoughts. Um, uh, Susan, I'm the girl with the shrinking teratoma, and I've been in pain since I talked to you, and I have done some um, proactive things like the CBD. I I found a, a, a really good CBD that seemed to work for me, but it doesn't always, so I interlace it with Advil and, I guess what I was wondering, um, since I'm having difficulty um, eliminating and um, sometimes even urinating, although it comes out, it just comes out slow and it's kind of painful, wakes me up a couple of times a night, which never happened before, I was just curious if you could offer me some other help, like something that could be, and maybe this is wrong, but I'll just throw it out to you, like an antispasmodic. I feel like I remember hypericum being that. I'm also doing uh, I'm taking some uh, slippery elm a couple of times a day because I figure that kind of gets things out, but it just feels like everything's kind of hard to push through, so um, I'm trying to be patient and and sit with this i I gave it ninety days from the time I went in the ER which will be right around Halloween time so i I just don't want to really live like this I'm barely kind of getting what I need to get done and I I keep feeling like surgery is not the answer, but I, I don't really know. Maybe I, I'm just not treating myself right. So anyway, thank you. There's always that. There's that,
6: well, you know, I'm having a hard time and I'm in pain, and maybe I'm not doing it well, and maybe I should just turn it over to the surgeon and they'll fix it and I'll be all better. But I let's really think, think about that. We're talking about surgery here. Yeah. We're talking about anesthesia. Yep. Danger. Right? We're talking about long term consequences after the surgery. In fact, no one would guarantee that if they did surgery that you would be out of pain or in less pain.
8: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, I'm every time So what I, I
6: say to people it, is certainly surgery can be an excellent option. It really works for some people in some conditions. But it's not a panacea or a cure-all, and it doesn't necessarily make pain go away. Right. If this is something that could actively threaten your life, then it's probably worth whatever the side effects or consequences of the surgery are. If it's not, then, you know, I would say it might be worth continuing to look into pain relief alternatives and there you might need to have several ways to approach it uh-huh certainly um i think cbd interfaces fine with all of the nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories um
8: in terms of you wanted to know about an antispasmodic yes Right, because that's what I'm feeling like when I have to go to the bathroom. It's not normal. It's just like yikes, mm-hmm. you know. primarily spasm, the primary spasmodics are members
6: of the mint family. Okay. And seeds of the carrot family, like caraway seeds and cumin seeds and fennel seeds and coriander seeds. Okay. Seeds can be used as a tea. Take a teaspoonful of the seed, pour boiling water over it, put a little honey in it if you want to, drink it down.
8: Mhm.
6: It's very specific for spasms in the gut. Okay. And it stops spasms in the gut very, very quickly. Okay. One of my beloveds was taken screaming from his home diagnosed with terminal cancer metastasized throughout his body and sent uh-huh. home to be in hospice care to die they, they didn't even want to treat him They said it's pointless to treat you, you're dead and sent him home to be taken care of by hospice I was fortunate in that it was in the winter time I didn't have many places that I needed to be so I was able to go down and be there when hospice arrived and and they said, what do you want? I said, I want you to get this man out of pain. I want you to give him as much morphine as you need to get a smile on his face. I want to see him smiling.
5: Mm.
6: And we said, well, his gut won't work if we give him that much morphine. I said, I'll take care of his gut. You give him the morphine. You take care of the smile. I'll take care of the gut. And it was in Florida. I just went out and bought cumin seeds, a huge population there that uses cumin seed in all their foods. And I was able to buy a big jug of cumin seed at the local supermarket. Mm-hmm. So, ...him cumin, seed tea, and his bowel stayed regular despite the huge amounts of morphine they were giving him. Huh. It seems like such a simple remedy that it shouldn't have very much effect, but in fact it has a very major effect. Okay. And of course, mint tea is renowned as an antispasmodic, a digestive aid. That's why most people know mint tea, because they drink it after dinner. Okay. It doesn't have to be mint. It can be anything in the mint family. So if you have made sage honey or rosemary honey or any of the aromatic mints as a honey, then you can just take a spoonful of that herb and honey together, stick it in a cup, pour boiling water over it, and you have an instant antispasmodic tea. Motherwort tincture. Motherwort's in the mint family. It's an antispasmodic. Lemon balm lavender. Motherwort, lemon balm, and lavender—not only anti-spasmodic, they're also anti-anxiety.
8: Can always use that. Is the lavender tincture, Susan?
6: I usually use lavender as a vinegar or a tea. The reason I make motherwort tincture is it's horribly bitter, and you just would not want motherwort tea. Uh huh. My mom tried some otherwort tea. She said, ooh, that's the kind of remedy where you get well because you never want to have to take the remedy again. <laughs> okay. Right. It sure tastes like chocolate. Okay, cheap chocolate, but it tastes like chocolate, whereas the tea just tastes horribly bitter. Okay, oh, So the tincture is the way to go with that. Otherwort of the tincture of the flowering top, exactly. Okay. And it's a scentless, non-aromatic mint soap. It's not like we're losing out on any nice flavor compounds.
8: Okay. Is there a limit on how much, like, of the cumin seed or the coriander seed tea one should take in a day? No. You can take as much as you want. Okay. So caraway seed or fennel seed or anise seed. Okay.
6: Right. Mm-hmm. Those are all in the same family. They all work almost exactly the same.
8: Oh, perfect. I think the I only that. Have-
6: addition- that's in a different family is fenugreek seed and well, it wouldn't hurt you if you did fenugreek seed, it just doesn't have exactly the same effects. As for moving things through your bowels what I like is yellow duck
8: I was a little afraid to take the, I, I you told me to take yellow duck a while back when I had was constipated and I got a little scared because when it comes, I mean I'm pretty regular but when it comes it's like I worry if I'm not twisting something and if I'm going to be able to get up from the toilet. That's how much how much pain it is just for a few seconds. And I thought the yellow dock, since it does the peristaltic movement, right, I thought that might make it even more intense, but maybe it will help.
6: You said you felt like things were stuck.
8: Yeah. But
6: and yellow dock... They- they um,
8: come like like they're just very painful and scary. Right. So. Yellow duck will make it softer, and
6: okay. I I think that it will be helpful. But if it's not, then
8: stop. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I just got a little scared because I, I I had taken it, and boy, did it work on me. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah, so it I does. should do that again, and I, I I'm thank you for reminding me because actually it was a question I wanted to ask you. I just didn't see my note. Um. Okay. And am I wrong? I took this note a few weeks ago listening to your show about something totally different, and I wrote hypericum antispasmodic. Is that something that I could also take, or?
6: Hypericum affects the nerves and the muscles. Okay. It's used both homeopathically and herbally for anything that has a nerve involvement, like nerve pain. Um, chronic pain from nerve involvement, shingles, herpes, things that are uh, infection in the nerves. And it also prevents lactic acid buildup in the muscles, so it prevents muscle spasms. Okay. I do not think that it would have a major effect on what's going on
8: with you, but you wouldn't hurt yourself if you decided to try it. Right, it might just relax me, and boy, that would be just fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mother see, motherwort would be more specific,
6: right? In other words, also would give you that relaxing, anti-anxiety effect. Mhm. But will also bring those specific gut helpful things.
8: Okay, well then that will be the first thing I grab tomorrow when I Yeah, you have before. some motherwort tincture on hand already. No, but I'll go to the health food store and grab it right away. I haven't. I I wouldn't. Or that you
6: get motherwort made from fresh motherwort. The tincture is virtually useless if it's made from dried motherwort, and about ninety-five percent of what's sold is made from dried motherwort.
8: Oh no, I think they only have at least in Woodstock Herb Farm and Catskill Organics. But I'll look tonight and see. Well, Catskill Mountain Herbals, which is a local. Venture
6: run by White Feather, it does use fresh motherwort, and it should say on the bottle. Okay. Okay. So just look for something made from fresh motherwort. Herbal Ed and I have had a great many discussions. When he started making tinctures, he would only make tinctures from dried plants, for a variety of somewhat scientific reasons. And I convinced him of our long relationship to at least make some things from fresh plants, and he does now. And it might be that he makes motherwort. You'd have to look at the bottle. I don't know for sure.
8: There was something else that you told me to check. I forget what it was right now, and I called them, and they must have saw eight four five. They asked me if I was one of your students because she just laughed. She goes, "Oh no, no, they're all fresh, they're all fresh flowering now, so I guess they must have remembered that, which is great um, thank, is,
7: yeah.
8: thank you so much for always teaching me so many things, and sorry, I get them sometimes confused and it you know, I know really- that it's. And Sorry.
6: it's pretty hard to really hurt yourself. With with They're not drugs. With, They're not right. uh, we're not using the kinds of herbs that can really hurt us. If you get something a little wrong, you take too little or too much, nothing bad is gonna happen.
8: Right. You just may not get the effect that you want, I guess. Of course. Um and Susan, I, I really I, I I don't wanna I don't wanna go on about the Advil, but I kind of need one sort of almost every day. And um, it just feels like I can't do the CBD or even I do the California poppy before I go to sleep. It feels like the skullcap and those guys just aren't touching it. And sometimes
6: they totally, totally hear you. You know, I was just reading a, an article. I'm getting ready. I'm going to record my Healthy Life radio show on Thursday evening. And I always start out with, uh, you know, five or six minutes of news notes. And um, one of the places that I really get a lot of great notes is the American um, Herbalist Association, Kathy Cavill's um, group, which puts out a quarterly newsletter. And they were reporting on pain relief and pain relief from chronic pain. And the people that were in the study were people who had had, chronic pain for more than four months with an inability for anything to relieve it. Hmm. It was one of the things that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross would frequently do. If someone would complain to her about how bad they were feeling, she would send them off to tend people who were feeling worse.
8: Worse, sure. Oh, I, I can imagine. I have a gratitude about it. I'm sure it could be worse where I wouldn't get out of bed.
6: I... Wait, exactly. So see if there is any reduction of pain from day to day. See if the worst pain of the day isn't a little less than the day before. Yep. One uh, of the affirmations that I like to use is every day and every way I'm experiencing less and less pain. And this affirmation allows us to, especially at the beginning, use whatever herbs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories we need or even, you know, really heavy-duty drugs to deal with that pain because the focus is not in getting rid of the pain but in not experiencing the pain. Right. And once you're not experiencing the pain, then you can start to come back. You can wean yourself slowly off of the herbs and drugs that are helping you with that. Okay. Okay? It's okay to not be in pain. It's okay to take enough herbs and enough nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories to not be in pain. It does not help you. It doesn't help your healing. And you don't get heaven credit points for being in pain.
8: No, and I'm not an effective teacher when I'm in pain. I mean, I'm okay, but I ain't great. You need to take Advil three or four times a day. Take it three or four times a day. And Susan, I know that's rough on my kidneys, and I am a, 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 an addicted nourishing herbal infusion taker. Actually, I'm going crazy because I can't find nettle right now. But, but um, or, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to just put that in there. I was just realizing. Okay. But um, can I take? I, can I do an herb or something that can support my kidneys a little nettle. bit? Or nettle is what supports your kidneys. The one that I have to go, I have to look at Frontier and see if they have it. Frontier it suddenly have it. nobody has it. So, it well, so far as I
6: know, Frontier has it.
8: Yeah, they do. I, I was looking at it before I called you. Susan, thank you That's so very much. And I'm sorry to keep calling you. And I'm going to call you again. Do not evening.
6: apologize. I am happy to have you keep calling. It's a blessing. And we are happy to share in your ongoing story.
8: Thank you, Susan.
7: Green blessing. Green blessing. Good night. Good night. And
8: I'm sorry to keep
7: calling. The next caller is coming from the 919 area code. And then you know Hello? Hi. Hi. What's up tonight? You're
3: more quiet. I'm great. How are you all?
6: Just fine. How about you?
3: Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. <clears throat> One is um, my mother-in-law loves, she swears by uh, oregano essential oil, and I'm a follower of yours. And I don't take her up on it anytime she offers it to me.
0: Um, but
3: I was wondering what you think about making a. I made an oregano tincture, and I was wondering if it could have some of the same benefits, and if I could maybe give her that instead of um, her all-encompassing oregano essential
6: oil. Maybe. The plants in the mint families have a variety of different aromatic compounds. And the characteristic smell of oregano is one of those flavoring compounds, the characteristic smell of rosemary is another. And it probably wouldn't surprise you to find that the rosemary plant contains both the rosemary scent and a little bit of the oregano scent. And the oregano contains the oregano scent and a little bit of the rosemary. And then there's, of course, sage. and So it, it's not like one plant just has one thing in it. And this is why, to make an essential oil, we have to extract and concentrate and purify so that we have only that oil. So when you make a tincture, you will have an admixture of things. And they will be... in. A far di- more diluted form you are extracting but you're extracting groups of things and you're not concentrating and purifying so it would rather b- be like um m- m- my mom you know uh, it takes aspirin and um I'm hoping that I could get her to um, drink willow tea instead. I mean, there's similar compounds, but is she going to have the same effect from it? Probably not. She's using a drug. It's very difficult to get people off drugs. Because they act quickly, and their side effects are sometimes not obvious. Uh Uh-huh. So she has no reason to believe you that the oregano oil is a drug which is hurting her. And if you offer her the same thing in another form, she will be even more convinced that the oregano oil is fine. Mm -hmm. She's using it in what way? You
3: know, she's, it's one of those, I think it's been, Sold to her as <laughs> for everything, so <laughs> both topically and I know she does take it internally. Um, literally, I mean, I literally for everything. And the the form that she uses, I've looked at it. It's actually a diluted um, form, so it's a, the essential oil diluted in in olive oil.
6: So um, so if I took tobacco and I mixed it with another herb and smoked it, I wouldn't have the bad effects of tobacco, right?
3: Uh-huh.
6: No, I would, wouldn't I?
3: Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, that makes
6: sense. It doesn't matter that it's diluted.
3: Right, right. No, and I just say that because it's...
6: Just means it's not going it. to burn her skin or burn a hole through her gut.
3: Right, absolutely. And I guess I just said that because I think it's almost funny that she's probably paying a lot of money... To get it diluted in olive oil because it's like a brand name, you know. Um, but yeah, just basically that she uses it for a lot of things. I hear her use it both topically and internally. And I was just going to offer the t shirt. Internally and
6: using instead. it topically doesn't tell me in any way at all what she's using it for.
3: I've heard her she uses use it when she has an upset off. stomach,
6: she uses it when she has poison ivy, she uses it. Yes. I, I don't know what it is you're saying.
3: Yeah, sorry. I mean, literally for all of that. So I've heard her use it when she had, like, a virus or a cough. I've heard her use it for her teeth, so whenever she had anything like brushes with it, um, Mm -hmm. she used it topically. She told her husband, or my father-in-law to use it on poison ivy. Um, Like, so all of those things that you mentioned, actually, those were some of the things. um, And I've looked at the list. They market it as being beneficial. The list is, like, 50 different you know, ailments and symptoms that supposedly it's useful for. Um, I guess my my question, which is kind of what you were referring to earlier, is around using some of those um, really aromatic mints, like you said, rosemary, sage, and oregano. I haven't heard you often talk about using them in tincture form, and I was just curious, like, if you ever do, or um, what you might use some of those. Sage, rosemary,
6: oregano, those kind of tinctures, if you ever do. Tincture of sage is used to dry excretions. If someone sweats profusely, tincture of sage taken internally, a small amount, will stop that from happening. Say people are really concerned because their hands sweat a lot, tincture of sage taken internally can stop that woman wants to or needs to dry up her breast milk and do it really quickly, tincture of sage will do that. Again, small amount or sips of sage infusion. I tend not to tincture the aromatic plants because I like their aromas, so I like to make them as vinegars and as honeys.
3: I've, I've tincture a tincture of radio. rosemary
6: is used to help the scalp, but it works better as an oil. tincture of rosemary is added to shampoos because rosemary is so great for the hair and the scalp. But again, I think it would work better as a tea, and it can darken the hair. So a rosemary infusion kept in a plastic bottle in the bathtub will usually not mold up for two or three weeks and can be used as a final hair rinse and simply left in the hair. So I tend to use the aromatic herbs in those ways. Now, Stephen Booner, ever since his book Herbal Antivirals came out, has been pushing everybody to investigate the antiviral effects of skullcap root, another mint, Because he sees that in China they use skullcap root, a closely related species, as an antiviral, one of their favorite antivirals. And recent research has found that the plants we're talking about here, these aromatic plants, oregano and rosemary and sage, as well as self-heal and a couple of other mints, do have very strong antiviral properties, and especially as tinctures. So I hope hope that clarifies it somewhat for you.
3: Yes, yes, that's very helpful. I've done, I've made a um, uh, uh, what is it? A bee balm, monarda tincture before um, for um viruses, and that seems really nice. But it's against
6: vi- against areas. viruses. It doesn't help viruses. It's against them.
3: Against them, yes. <laughs> yeah,
6: and there are two kinds of bee balm in our area. There's the purpley more purpley bee balm, which has more oregano oil than oregano does. Mm. And the red one, the Oswego tea, um, which has no oregano oil at all.
3: Okay, that's the one I used.
6: <laughs> the red one. It's got
3: such, yeah, yeah, it's got such a strong smell that, is, that seems similar to me. So that's interesting.
6: Yeah, I... I know quite a few herbalists who use tincture of the purple one because of the oregano oil in it.
7: Okay.
6: But nobody who uses the red one is a tincture.
3: Oh, interesting. Okay. Good
6: to know. It doesn't have those huge amounts of oils in it.
3: Okay.
6: Which is why the red one makes so much better tea, right?
3: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
6: Wonderful.
3: I have one more question.
6: Exciting that self heal is antiviral.
3: Yeah, that's amazing because it's so available. I found some good patches of it. I would love to try that. Not too late. Would you
6: still out there in blooming? Go out and check out Prunella vulgaris. Would you use the whole plant? Are you thinking? Yes, the because whole plant, of, including the root. You could dig up the root if you wanted to, but you don't have to. Okay.
0: Okay, great. I will try that.
3: Um, my other question is maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, I am teaching a wellness class for mothers. It's not really even teaching. I facilitate a wellness group for mothers um, uh, with children ages 3 to 5. And one of the topics that they keep, they keep bringing up with me is around healthy fats and asking what are the healthiest fats that they can eat. And I feel comfortable with like my own <laughs> consumption of fat, but um, I use pretty much you know olive oil, avocado oil. I raise my own animal, so I do use lard and um, tallow um, and butter. And the thing is, is, this is part of a research study <laughs> and part of a local university. And I want to give them some of the best, most up to date research around what fats are healthiest. And it seems like the medical You know, here's the problem.
6: How do you define healthy? Okay, yeah. That's a big problem right there. Yeah. So if you're gonna be looking at research, healthy is gonna be defined as lowers cholesterol.
7: Yes.
6: And that's a pretty small and narrow goal. Right. And what you're going to find is a real focus on polyunsaturated fats. Yes. Like canola oil.
3: Yes, I know that's a problem. (laughs) Oil And
6: oil and all of the oils that I would never touch.
3: Right, right. Same.
6: Because... To me, healthy fat has to do with the ratio of omega 3 and omega 6 fatty acids. And what I'm looking for in a fat is a ratio that Weston Price found in healthy groups of people, which is 1 omega 3 to 1 omega 6. Or up to two omega-3s to one omega-6. So between one to two omega-3s for every omega-6. Yeah. The seed oils all have way more omega-6 than omega-3. I think hemp oil might have like 600 omega-6 to one omega-3. Whoa. (laughs) I mean, way more. Sally Fallon has a great video called The Oiling of America.
3: Oh, yes, it is.
6: And that would be, you know, if the class allows that, I would say look at some or all of that to help them understand what's going on and why they feel confused. What you have named are the classic fats of the planet, fats from animals including dairy fats, eggs, and the actual fat of the animal, right, Butter right those are are solid, stable fats, but they are not polyunsaturated, so they have fallen out of favor They're saturated right. fats, and saturated fats have been demonized
3: right
6: it's most likely that it's not the saturated fat itself that's a problem, but the fact that those animals have been brought into a feedlot and fed corn or soy, which then changes the omega-3 to the omega-6 ratio in that fat. Right. So Again, I'm looking at something different. I'm not looking at monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, saturated. I'm looking at omega-3 to omega-6. And how does that change? And so, you know, when Sally Fallon and I became meat activists... Uh, gosh, it's almost 20 years ago now because we wanted to restore family farms and we have done so, hooray, we've given ourselves a pat on the back. You know, one of the things we said was it's important for the animals to be grass-fed. And you use the, the fat from your animals because you don't put your animals in a small pen and feed them corn and soy before... You give death to them because you don't especially want the meat to be marbled. Right. Right. In order to get fat to interleave in the muscle layer, the animal has to be inactive and be given some kind of, you know, heavy-duty crop like like corner or soy. Because it's not natural and it's not healthy for the animal to have that fat marbled in there. But that's how people want to eat their meat.
3: Can I ask you something about lard? I've been really curious about this because we do eat our own pork, um, and we do feed them, you know, hopefully it's true, non-GMO grain along with a lot of whey. And they're, of course, outdoors. They're in the woods and pasture, and they eat all of that. But I have always been curious and been slightly scared to ask. You know, anybody who feels really good about their pastured pork, they are still very heavily grain-fed. That's how you grow a hog, right? Um, In most instances, unless it's like a, you know... When I kept
6: uh, two pigs, we hardly gave them any grain at all. Okay,
3: cool. That's great. (laughs) I guess for for sale. And
6: and the one that we didn't give death to soon enough got to be over 300 pounds.
7: Right.
6: Now, we were in cahoots with local restaurants who would save their food scraps for us. I mean, our pigs ate lobsters and steak, and they ate very high.
3: Yes, and I'm totally in favor of that. And absolutely, I, I, you know, encourage people when they're raising their own hogs for their own consumption to do it that way. I guess it's that idea of whenever you get a pastry or, or forest-raised hog um, here, even from your local farmer's market, it's going to be green-fed. Like, that's, you know... Almost entirely the
6: case. I would say you yeah. would have to. I would say you would need to ask the individual person.
3: Yeah.
6: And um, what you know, what their practices are. But again, it's not being confined and fed grain right. only in the last bit of its life.
3: Right. And so it would still have a a better ratio, but maybe not like that really nice ratio. Um, right. That uh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well. Uh, Thank you, thank you for that, and I completely agree with you. And ha- you know, we still have to keep fighting. To get right. And that that that's why you the use nutrition. the
6: avocado oil because it has a yeah. good ratio. Coconut oil, right? But again, the coconut oil is considered a saturated fat, so people are down on it. Right.
5: Yeah. <laughs> right, it, but it contains
6: lauric acid, which has a whole other host of wonderful effects in the body. Oh.
3: Right.
6: There isn't any simple answer. In fact, we live in a time in which there aren't any right answers left.
3: Yeah, that's a good point.
6: So we do the best we can with yes. what resources we have <laughs> and what's available to us.
3: Yes, awesome. Thank you so much.
6: You're welcome. That's Green blessing.
3: Okay, good night.
6: Good
7: night. The next eight four five number that's calling in has a five one four prefix.
4: Hi Susan. Hi, Susan.
7: Good evening.
4: How are you?
6: Enjoying this rainy day.
4: <laughs> um. So. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Um, and I was wondering if you could lend me some guidance about cervical health. Um, I do have your book down there. Um, and so I have HPV, um, and right now in the moment, um, I'm experiencing some cervical dysplasia. Um, in 2014, I had adenocarcinoma uh, adeno in situ, um, and at that time, I wasn't as in my power as I am now. And I had three doctors, um, you know, send me to Women's Cancer Center, and and they and I had a cone biopsy. Um, and so now my understanding is more that. Uh, cervical cells can shift and change. And when there's dysplasia, especially CIN1, which is what I have now, um, oftentimes it just goes away on its own. Um, And it's something to keep an eye on. I guess really what I'm asking is um, intuitively right now, I, I don't feel like I want them to keep just hacking pieces of my cervix because um, that's what it's feeling like to me. So um, I'm drinking nourishing herbal infusions every day. day. I'm uh, Every day in my morning meditation, I'm focusing on, uh, you know, a happy, healthy cervix. Um, and so I was just sort of wondering um, what your advice would be about that. Well, in,
6: in reference to what's in the book, I'm sure that in the book that I mentioned that hypericum perforatum is an antiviral. Yes. And yes. that lavish doses of the tincture of hypericum can be used to help reverse viral infections, especially human papillomavirus.
4: Yes. And so interestingly right now, and for a few years now, the HPV isn't even showing up when I have my yearly exams. So the HPV is, is I guess, at the moment dormant. Obviously, I know, you know, it's in there. Um, and so so if you think me taking the hypericum in a tincture form um would help with the dysplasia, obviously, because the dysplasia is from the HPV. Well, I'm a little
6: confused. I thought you opened this okay. discussion by saying, I have HPV.
4: So it's my understanding that once you have. So did HPV, you say that or
6: not? Yes. Okay, so I didn't you get that wrong. You didn't
4: get that wrong.
6: All right, but it's now my you're telling me understanding. you don't have HPV.
4: No, 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 no. Um, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It's my understanding that uh, once you have HPV, you always have it. Is that not true? Like um, sometimes it'll lay dormant and sometimes it'll express itself.
6: That seems reasonable to me, but
4: like a lot of viruses, like Epstein-Barr and herpes, it hides, yeah, it hides in the nerve Yeah, saying room. that
6: once you have it, you always have it, makes it sound more damaging than it is, okay. is my fault with that.
4: So at the moment, yes. the HPV isn't showing up on my annual exams, right. but the cervical dysplasia is... And right now my my most recent exam said that I have CIN one and my doctor wants to send me back to the cancer center, which I'm sure they'll want to do a colposcopy and from there I don't know what they'll do or what they will want to do.
6: Mm-hmm. Mhm. What would so, you want to do?
4: Um, take care of my body and make it as healthy as I can and not let them continue to hack away at my cervix uh-huh then you probably shouldn't go <laughs> right <laughs> because it is true that uh, most often even if it's even if you're you know because my understanding is dysplasia is like there's a scale of of cervical cells and where they land on that and oftentimes it'll fluctuate depending on what's going on in your body Um, and my other understanding is that even with um, the idea of heading so the the idea I guess of these tests is to keep me from heading towards cervical cancer right like that's the whole um, sort of idea but the cells can renormalize, I guess is what I'm saying. That's why you're being sent to a cancer center.
6: Right. Or as one gynecological sur- surgeon once said, don't you understand that if we remove your uterus and there's no cancer that we've saved your life? Right. So most of us wouldn't believe that, would we? We would say, well, my gosh, you removed my uterus and there's no cancer, and so it was a waste. Right. A waste of time. You know, wow, you know, you took my uterus and there was no cancer there. What you know, what a horrible thing. And they're patting themselves on the back for saving your life. Right. Right. So I certainly do not want to see you die of cancer nobody wants to see anybody die of cancer All right but i trust you more than i trust them
4: right which is where i am at right now i feel like they want to use a lot of scare tactics and because they feel like that's what happened in 2014 instead so of just saying like let's keep an eye on it and let's you know they were like nope we're going to we're going to cut this you know cut this bit out of your cervix and then they were like, Oh, clear borders. Everything's great. You know, exactly. Um, they just saved then, your life. There wasn't cancer there. Exactly. Right. But as long as the HPV is hanging around, then the cells can always turn again. So it doesn't matter how much they hack away. <sighs> Correct. It doesn't. So just focus on keeping myself healthy. Is really that is one way. solution their
6: solution is you won't focus on keeping yourself healthy, so we'll just remove the offending thing, yeah, you know it's it's not like one is right and the other is wrong. Most people let's face it, aren't willing to put out the self-care that it requires. That's why we have drugs instead of herbs, because we have to take more self-care when we're using herbs. It actually requires more of us.
4: Right. And
6: many people are not willing or don't think they have the time or the energy to put that out. Right. And, again, no blame. So kind of my why we have idea. the health care that we have, which takes care of it for us, because the assumption is we are not going to take care. Right. And in most cases, right. the correct assumption.
4: Right. So intuitively, I just want to, you know, nourish my body and focus on having a happy, healthy cervix um, and sort of, you know... And keep an keep eye an on eye what's on going it. on. Keep an eye on it to stay informed. Right. Exactly. That's how I feel. So I, I also noticed in your book down there, you mentioned a astragalus root tincture. Do you feel like that would be I'm sorry, I didn't catch that word. What root? Astragalus root. Yep. Uh huh. Do you feel like that would be applicable in this situation?
6: Certainly, astragalus is always a good way to support the immune system. One of the things that I usually say to people if they're thinking that they might be dealing with cancer or something that could possibly lead to cancer is to consider using medicinal mushrooms. Okay. All right, medicinal mushrooms help prevent the growth and the... Um, Progression to cancer. So, if there's already cancer, then the mushrooms prevent it from metastasizing. And if it's a precancerous state, then the mushrooms um, help it not go on. Okay. Okay. So, I I generally think that in situations like this, where there's a possibility. Um, that using medicinal mushrooms on a daily basis um, is well-established to help people who are dealing with cancer, whereas the other things you're talking about, astragalus has not been established in that same way. Okay. Right?
4: Okay. And what are, the, what are the medicinal mushrooms that you would recommend?
6: I would recommend either Five Defenders from Real Mushrooms or My Community from Paul Stamets. Mushrooms tend to work better when there's a bunch of different mushrooms working together. And both of those products contain a bunch of mushrooms. Paul's contains about 20 different mushrooms. The Five Defenders, of course, only contains five. Okay.
4: And that's a powder or a tincture or just whole mushrooms? That's right. It's a powder
6: or or a tincture. You got it.
4: It's however – okay. So you – okay.
6: They're available in both forms from both places. Whatever works better from you. Paul works with mycelial – Bodies and real mushrooms works, as their name is, with the actual fruiting body of the mushroom. Um, Paul is a scientist and has a lot of backup data for working with the mycelium. Um, some people don't like it. They they have a, a feeling that they want the mushroom itself. Um, mm-hmm. It's all good. Okay.
4: Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much.
6: You're welcome. Green
4: blessings. Good night. Green blessings.
7: Good night. The next eight four five number is coming from the six seven nine prefix. Hi, this is Tatiana.
6: Hi, Tatiana.
7: Hi, Susan. I
1: um. Uh, I have, you know, the heart condition, high, high blood pressure, and I did buy the Motherworth and Hawthorne. I took the Mother Earth tincture, and uh, my good friends scared me to death when I had a reading of 175, and they told me I have to take the blood pressure uh, pills that the doctor gave me, and as I told you, I don't like to take medication, and I did take it. Uh, nothing bad happened except that my uh, blood pressure dropped drastically in an hour, and I was wondering if the measurement was correct, but from 170 went down to 123. Um, then it went back, and I'm still taking the Motherworth um, tincture, and I wonder if the combination of a tincture and a medication, and she, uh, the doctor also prescribed aspirin, and I stopped taking the aspirin, baby aspirin uh, when I uh, started the blood pressure thing. I am confused about the combination of allopathic and, and herbal. Um, how does that what is your. Herbal medicine
6: is allopathic medicine.
1: Yeah, I know that, but, but taking tincture.
6: Drugs and, and herbs work wonderfully well
1: together. Really? Yes. Why shouldn't they? Uh, well, I don't know, because each one is a, is a, a form of med. you know, one is natural medication, and the other one is, uh, I don't know to what degree.
6: So let I'm, me ask you this. Is garlic a medicine or a food? Both. Oh, so you do recognize that herbs are foods as well as medicines?
1: Yeah. it, it, it Motherwort
6: just... is a food as well as a medicine. Mm-hmm. Food goes just fine with drugs, yes?
1: Well, you know, if I think... I'm being the...
6: asked to stop eating when you take your drug, right? As a matter of fact, some drugs are supposed to be taken with food, Yes. Yeah. Yeah, herbs are food, not drugs. Well,
1: you know, if I eat one garlic is one thing, but if I eat the whole head, that's another thing. Even How much
6: what tincture are you taking?
1: Um, you told me as much as I want, but I take now once or twice a day. That's it, and well, not
6: that's a, less than one clove of garlic.
1: Oh. It does have an effect. I feel soothed. Of course, and it does. Yeah, and you definitely. can take
6: it with your blood pressure medication. It's not a problem. I know thousands of people who do.
1: And the hawthorn also at the same time. Would you eat applesauce and take drugs? I don't know. I, you know I never took Hawthorne drugs. Hawthorn is hawthorn is a kind of apple.
6: Uh huh. It's a. Food, it's not a
1: drug. But it's concentrated. It is not concentrated. Oh, a tincture is not concentrated? How is a tincture concentrated? Nobody concentrated it. I don't know. It's not in its natural form, isn't it?
6: What? I mean, so if you not- eat oatmeal, <laughs> oatmeal, does that mean that the oatmeal is concentrated and not in its
1: natural form? Um Well, you know, depends what Uh, the
6: potato oatmeal. I'm asking you, if you eat oatmeal, is that concentrated?
1: No, it's food. We cook our food. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Motherwort tastes terrible. Motherwort
6: tastes really, really bitter. Nobody is going to sit down and eat a salad with motherwort in it or cooked greens of motherwort or even drink a cup of motherwort tea. So in order to get the benefit of motherwort, we make a tincture of it because that's the way it's palatable.
1: Oh, well, I drink water after that, uh, and I don't care that it's uh, bitter. I mean, I wouldn't eat it. The
6: tincture should not be bitter. Oh, okay. If the tincture is bitter, then it's probably not that effective because it's been made from dried plant material, and it needs to be made from fresh plant material. And I'm not really sure. You said that you bought Mother Earth tinctures? I don't know of a brand name named Mother Earth tinctures.
1: Uh, no, this one I bought it at the Apothecary here.
6: Uh-huh. I, I truthfully do not find that the stuff they sell is of good quality. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, where shall I buy the good quality
6: Catskill Mountain Herbs.
1: Okay. Uh, I mean, is that you can like- buy it
6: online? That's the easiest thing to do. Just go online, Catskill Mountain Herbals. Herbal. Get get some other tincture made in vodka, and not grain alcohol, which is already really caustic to our bodies. Oh. oh and my- ma yeah. I don't ever use tinctures made with grain alcohol. I only. Use vodka for my tinctures because it's so much kinder to the body. And um, tinctures made from fresh plant material.
1: Okay. And okay. I, can, I can also take the the hawthorn uh, during the day at different times together with that. Think of hawthorn as applesauce, okay?
6: <laughs> when would you take applesauce? <laughs> you wouldn't even take it. You would eat it. The word take is an inappropriate verb for these things.
1: You, you, you know, I don't like that. You're I eating abs. these herbs. They're <laughs> food. They're not right. drugs. I have a next question. Um, okay. Uh, I heard, uh, and I was extremely impressed about uh, for curing toenail fungus. Uh, how do I use it and how do I go about it? Because I spend tremendous amount of money for this purpose, that none of them, no matter how expensive they were, did not help.
6: And I'm sorry, what are you asking about for the toenail fungus? Uh,
1: I heard on your program that somebody was very grateful that you told them to take henna for toenail fungus.
6: I have never told anybody to take henna.
1: Maybe to put henna on the toe, I don't know.
6: Never told anybody to use henna in any way.
1: All right. So maybe you tell me what you suggest, because maybe I misheard it, but it was last time. What
6: what do you use? Maybe that somebody called in and Uh said she had used henna. It's possible. But I didn't. You're telling me I told somebody and I'm telling you I didn't tell anybody because I don't use henna. I don't know about henna. I don't like henna. I don't. You know, it's just not a thing that I'm into.
1: She thanked you, and that's why i miss
6: so she concluded. she decided to do it. that's certainly possible, but not because of anything i said
1: <laughs> okay so what what would you absolutely say?
6: absolutely fine and if she talked about how she did it and you she wanna see
1: you if you can
6: follow that, I have no problem with that at all.
1: <laughs>
6: I don't know anything about it
1: <laughs> so do you know about something that does help
6: um in soaking your feet in an infusion of yarrow
1: can help? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Like every day, how long? Uh, how much yarrow?
6: To make an infusion, we use one ounce. A okay. dried herb to one quart of water. You can go to YouTube and you can see me making infusions and talking about making infusions and see exactly how an infusion is made. One ounce of herb, a quart of boiling water, steeped for a minimum of um, four hours, strained, and then as frequently or as little as you desire.
1: Uh-huh. And, and, uh, um, just like put my feet in it for how long? Like uh, for think? as long
6: or as little as you desire.
1: Oh my God! <laughs> how I long desire... do you want to
6: put your feet in it for?
1: I'm five minutes, and my desire is five very Five minutes? Long. That's
6: fine. That's absolutely fine. No problem.
1: Really? Yes. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome.
6: Green blessings. Let us know how it works out. Thanks. Okay.
7: All right. The next eight four five number is a coming from a three two four prefix.
4: Hi,
6: three
4: two
0: four. Hi, three two four. Oh. Hello. Hello? Hi. Hi, Susan. I forgot my uh my prefix. <laughs> i um I wanted to talk uh, about um h p v and planters warts because I have had a recurrence uh on occasion not often throughout my life on the same spot and um I usually use um apple cider vinegar, and it, it seems to do the trick, um, but when I was researching it, it said it was caused from an HPV virus, and I was wondering, what is up with that? Uh, it was hard to believe, and um, I'm, I'm a female and have female body parts and have never been diagnosed with HPV in my cervix and I've had this planters wart going on since I was a child. It
6: the human papilloma virus occurs in dozens of forms.
0: Oh, that makes sense.
6: It expresses anywhere from the flat warts that you see. Uh-huh. On the skin surface. To plantar's warts, which are kind of in an internal kind of wart?
0: Yes, that's what I have, yes. To cancer. Anywhere in the body.
6: Human papillomavirus tends to make cancer at the cervix, in the throat, and in the
0: anus. And in the anus. Oh my. That's scary thought well um so then i uh was listening to one of the callers uh talk about h p v and uh did you uh did someone mention something about uh Hypericum? We
6: were talking about human papilloma virus, which starts on page hundred and seventy six in my book down there and um Medically, warts are papilloma and are caused by papillomaviruses. There are more than 100 papillomaviruses. Oh, wow. Some are generalists and will grow anywhere, and some are quite specific and very fussy. Huh. Human papillomaviruses can live in and be passed from the skin of the scrotum, the perineum, and the anus, areas that are left uncovered by male condoms. Female condoms, which cover the entire vulva as well as the vagina, will offer better protection. Human papillomavirus can be spread by oral sex, genital-to-genital sex, intercourse, and rubbing genitals together. Lesbians, nuns, and women whose sexual partners are circumcised have the fewest genital warts and the least cervical cancer. Gardasil which triggers antibody responses against four cancer-promoting human papillomaviruses, is already showing a huge significance in places where it is required. For instance, in the British Isles, where um, the vaccination against human papillomavirus is required, um, rates of these three cancers, um, anal cancer, throat cancer, and cervical cancer, are already going down. Many of many papillomaviruses are non-contagious but some are not only contagious but widespread and stealthy. They can live outside the body. In warm moist places skin cells containing human papillomaviruses can remain infectious for days and symptomless people can infect others. They primarily infect the vagina, cervix, penis, urethra, anus, and throat. Um, that can be in other places. The warts we can see are nothing to worry about. It's the warts we can't see that are the troublemakers. Human papillomavirus is the most common sexually transmitted disease in the USA and Europe, with more than 6 million new cases every year in the USA alone. At least 50% of all sexually active people will be infected with human papillomavirus during their lifetime. During a three-year study, 40% of a group of female college students got HPV infections. Of the 20 types of human papillomavirus which colonize the genital area, four are known to initiate cervical cancer, which is the leading cause of death from cancer for women in Africa, Asia, and India. Oh, wow. Human papillomaviruses can cause penile, anal, rectal cancers, and aggressive squamous cell cancers of the throat, head, neck, and tonsils. Once infected with human papillomavirus, you are infected for life, and there is no known cure. In other words, you can't ever make it really totally go away, but as we were talking about before, it goes into deep remission where it should not bother you. The Swiss Herbalist considers homeopathic thuya, the ground remedy, especially indicated for those who have human papillomavirus, 30C or higher is best.
0: What 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 was that recommendation?
6: Homeopathic thuya, T H U J A.
0: Oh, I always wondered how to say that. Isn't isn't that a isn't it, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was pronounced Thuja. No.
6: St. Jones wort has antiviral actions that interfere with a wide range of viruses, including human papillomavirus and HIV. Tincture of the fresh plant can be taken in large frequent doses for many years to kill the virus, but does not cause sun sensitivity. Use of tea capsules or isolated alkaloids does cause solar hypersensitivity. To prevent a viral infection, use a dropper full of tincture in a little water three or four times a day for a few days. To treat a viral infection, use a dropperful full in water every one to two hours until the symptoms abate and then consider with less frequentness.
0: Um, I only have oil that I made. Mm-hmm. I, I heard some oil. Is, mm-hmm. uh, is, is that... Um, <clears throat> I, I, did, I made it for topical uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that also would it be satisfactory to make? ingest it? Um, no, I, I have only. How much did you make? Oh, I made a. Um, well, after I strained it, I got about half a quart, so about four ounces.
6: Mhm. So it wouldn't last very long if you were taking it orally.
0: Uh, well, I guess. Dropperful in water I every go, one it. to
6: two hours would, would be um, eight to ten dropperfuls a day. There's 40 dropperfuls in an ounce. Right. So you made approximately enough to last you for two weeks if you take it internally. Oh,
0: well. I, I don't so know I'm saying why. It, wouldn't, I, it
6: won't go very far. So I wouldn't even start with that. I would keep that for ex, for external use because it's really highly effective externally.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. And yeah, find some place where you
6: can buy the tincture. It's an item of commerce.
0: I, I don't know why I would want to take it um, internally because I don't have uh, a diagnosis of an internal um, HPV in the areas you mentioned. I only have this plant tar warp. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if that was a <clears throat> any correlation, but you have clearly identified there are different types of HPV, and I I could not glean that information in the article. Um, so <clears throat> perhaps it might be a nice remedy to put on the plantar, um, the oil. Um, it might. It might. I don't think it will do much of anything, though. Truthfully. Yeah, either do I. So, it, uh, besides uh, apple cider vinegar, so what I would, there, I would try is duct tape. I read that. It, what does that do? Just kind of starve out the oxygen and uh, right. remove the layers of the skin. It, it keeps it from getting oxygen, and it dies. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've, you've mentioned a lot of ailments that come from. Skin from the outward to the in can easily be starved of oxygen and that would kill them, correct? Or it would prevent a bacteria from growing without the oxygen. Am I I understanding that correct? No. No.
6: I don't know what you mean by from the outside in. And I don't Uh. know I don't know of a lot of things that work that way and I don't think I've mentioned a lot of
0: things. So uh, no I I think somebody was talking about having a cut on their skin and being afraid it would get uh infected and I thought there was the mention that um <clears throat> if a if a salve was applied it would starve out the oxygen so bacteria could not grow.
1: No. No, absolutely.
6: absolutely. No.
0: Oh. Well it's funny how we think we hear things one way and it's
6: not the case.
0: There's no way a salve
6: could block oxygen.
0: No? No.
6: Oh. So we're not talking somebody... about a piece of saran wrap, we're talking about some oil with plant material in it.
0: Yeah, and the and the oxygen still can get through that.
6: Oxygen obviously gets through that.
0: So if duct Oil interacts with
6: oxygen very, very easily. That's what causes oil to go rancid.
0: Oh. Oh, so that's another thing. I was worried about my oil going rancid because I had never made it before, so I put it in the refrigerator. Did I ruin it by doing that, or is that Okay.
6: Is it in olive oil? Yes.
0: What I am told by the people sure who know olive, olive
6: oil, oil is that once you refrigerate olive oil it's destabilized and not worth much of anything. It oh, is that granulates right? when it goes it gets cold, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's like a salve now. It's very, very thick right. very
6: thick. And that apparently has broken up the olive oil in a way that has made it extremely unstable, which is why olive oil is never put in the refrigerator.
0: I did not know that. That's actually what I was really wondering. It's funny it took me that long to get to that point. <laughs> I would still use it,
6: but it's not ideal.
0: Right. I, I, Of course I am going to still use it because it's very soothing and I love the smell. Um, I can see all the little crystals in it. Kinda. It looks almost like little pieces of glass or something. I I didn't know if that was from the hypericomer um No, that's else. the
6: breakdown of the olive oil caused by the refrigeration.
0: I see, so it probably wouldn't be good to ingest then at this point. Yeah. Okay.
6: The people I know who know olive oil say don't put it in the refrigerator. If you do, it will break down in such a way that it's unstable.
0: Okay, so back to the original to be clear, a plantar's war is in no way related to the type of um papillomavirus found in uh like on the cervix that would cause Correct. cancer. Correct. All right, so I was just wondering like should I run to the doctor and get a test? And I'm thinking, well that's kinda of silly, but oh, I, don't I wasn't sure
6: it at all.
0: Okay. Thank you, right. Susan. And have a good night.
6: Good night, green blessings.
7: The next caller is coming from the 360 area code. Good
9: evening, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, The reason I'm calling tonight is because I have um, a little bit of a pimply rash. That's not a rash, but it's almost like a bug bite, maybe a dermatitis happening on random parts of my body, like uh, my wrist um my belly button area um under my bra line and like on the side of a knee. It's just really random. And my daughter, uh, we thought maybe she had scabies um a month ago and that was treated that didn't that wasn't what it is and so now I'm getting this she had the same thing but there's just no pattern to it. And we're using, uh, we use jarl spray, and that will that will pacify the itching, but then it usually comes back. And she, like, wakes up at night and scratching, and it's just really driving us crazy.
6: And I just don't know what it could be. I hear you. What a drag. huh? Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah. You know, when I'm faced with a situation like that, What I do is I say, oh, good, this is a place where I can really experiment. I was running barefoot um, at a big conference to help somebody who was in a a really life-or-death situation, so I was not looking very much where I was running. I was just running as fast as I could. And I actually stumped down, it turned out, on a little piece of glass. I didn't know that I had stumped down on a little piece of glass. I actually thought I'd gotten a stone bruise on my heel. And, uh, you know, days later, when it's still like hurting and hurting more, I realized, oh, maybe there's something actually in your foot, Susan, and um, mm-hmm. started soaking it. And that didn't seem to relieve it. So I said, okay, well, this is a situation where I'm just going to experiment. And I started grading up various um, vegetables and using them as poultices to see which which I was going to respond the strongest to. and the one that really was the the absolute strongest and that actually pulled that piece of glass out of my foot was patty pan squash. No. Have you ever noticed awesome. when you cut zucchini or pumpkin how dry your fingers get? Yes. Almost like they're like, like covered in some kind of drying agent. In fact, um, there's a substance in pumpkin that's used in high-level salons to give people facials. Nice. So that's what I would do is I would say, okay, okay, let's just start smashing fruits and vegetables onto our bodies and see if we respond to any of them. Okay. What fun? You and your daughter can choose, you know, fruit or vegetable <laughs> a day and smash it or grate it or somehow, you know, get it into a juicy way and put it on your rash and see what the response is. And keep a chart, okay. but keep a book about your experiences so that you'll have something to help you remember what you did. Okay. Yeah, that's that sounds easy enough. And then call back in a while and let us know what you discovered.
9: Okay. All right. Thank you so much. We will You're try awesome. that.
6: Bye bye. Okay. Green blessings.
10: Good night.
7: Good night. All right. The next caller is coming from the seven one eight area code. Hi, Susan. Hi,
6: what's up tonight?
2: Okay, so two days ago I was I was in a car and the car behind um kind of forgot to go on their brakes or I guess their brakes slipped or something. And all I remember was like screaming, like I just you know, the car got hit from behind and it was more like an impact and a shock feeling like I didn't know what happened and then I realized that a car, you know, kind of hit the car I was in. Um, what was interesting is I wonder if it's the emotion and the fear that got like stuck in my back. It felt uncomfortable at the time, but as, the, you know, today's the second day since it happened, you know, I started experiencing pain and it's almost like that emotion is locked in the back. I don't know if there's anything to what I'm saying, but I just want to talk it out with you. And I was taking the tincture St. John's word. I don't know why, but that's what I just kind of felt gravitated to. Um, And it helped a bit. Like, I just, I think it really helped me calm down um, and make me feel a little more comfortable. I just wanted to ask you if there's anything else I should be doing or just wait it out. Um, It's a little better. It's just I'm still uncomfortable and I feel like a little bit of a spasming and a stiffness in my back.
6: Um, well I really hear you and how absolutely shocking it is to be hit from behind Yeah. and um, one of the things that happens when tendons or ligaments are injured is that they don't hurt until afterwards
2: oh okay
6: this is one of the reasons why at the scene of an accident they want to take people even if you feel okay to the hospital Mm -hmm. because they say you really can't tell what damage has been done. And it's true. It can take, um, even in some instances, up to four or five days for your body to really reveal how much damage has been done Mm -hmm. by the actual accident itself. So I I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, it's just my feeling there. I think that there can be actually some um, physical damage Certainly, a hypericum is a great choice to help um, to prevent and relieve muscle spasming. From that, I would also think hot bath or hot shower. Okay. And kava-kava um, is a really excellent muscle relaxer.
2: Kava-kava, okay. And how do kava, I kava, kava that? Root. root
6: and okay. an infusion of kava-kava root with one ounce of kava-kava brewed in a quarter of boiling water for at least four hours or overnight. and or, or kava-kava tincture, either one works well. And if you make the infusion, don't refrigerate it, let it sit out. You're not going to drink it all at once, and it will ferment slightly, and the more fermented it gets, the more active it is at relieving muscle pain.
2: Wow, okay.
6: So... Um, The other thing that I would think is that you have yet to really release the shock of it. Mm -hmm. It was shocking to you, yes? Yes, yes. And one of the difficulties that we have with releasing the shock is that as women, we feel very uh, much like we don't want to hurt anyone else. Mm -hmm. and we're concerned that if we just release that shock that it will somehow become harmful. And so what I suggest is that you take your bare hands to the earth and that you put your bare hands on the earth and release that shock, understanding that the earth will turn the shock into food, medicine, and beauty.
2: That's beautiful. I'm going to do that.
6: Yeah, that you can't hurt the earth by doing this. Mm-hmm. But I think that it will help you and help you distinguish between um, physical damage that might have happened and um, your very rightful feelings of upset about what happened.
2: You know, you're right. It's almost upset what happened. Yeah, yeah. Mhm. Thank you, Susan. Thanks. For, thank you, you for listening. You are
6: welcome. I think you're doing a great job. Well, what do we have here? One minute before Sheila comes on?
10: Yes,
7: it's about 40 seconds. Do you just want to go ahead and go into the interview? Yeah, is she here? She is here. Good, Sheila.
6: Amara Hay is a visionary, advocate, and coach devoted to unveiling the ecstasy. Available in each moment at the intersection of sensuality, life, and birth. Founder of the global ecstatic birth movement, a Yale and Columbia-trained cultural sociologist and longtime sister goddess, Sheila empowers women to honor their female, she says feminine, I say female, flow, and locate their fierce, she says feminine, I say female power. Feminine, after all, is a cultural concept, Female is not a concept. Female is what we are. I am very female. I am hardly at all feminine. I don't even really like the word feminine. While they birth their most sacred creation and rebirth themselves in pleasure. Put me in pink ruffles, everybody would just laugh. Sheila trains birth practitioners. That's feminine, right? We, we know what feminine is it's how cross dressers dress. That's feminine. I'm not. Sheila trains both practitioners and expectant moms to integrate the most holistic birthing tool, pleasure, in birth preparation and support. Sheila is sought after. Sheila is a sought after speaker and teacher, guest teacher at Mama Gina School of Womanly Arts, Womanly Arts like that, and Orgasmic Birth Pain to Power Childbirth Education Program and has taught at NCO's Online Academy, the Birth Institute Choices in Childbirth, and numerous Virtual conferences. Whether you're birthing a baby or your soul's work, birth is a journey to be thoroughly enjoyed rather than endured. Sheila is passionate about reclaiming and honoring birth as a sacred rite of passage. She can be found online at ecstatic birth.com. Welcome to the show, Sheila.
10: Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for that beautiful intro. <laughs>
6: You are welcome, and please do consider ditching feminine and using female instead. It's so much stronger.
10: Yeah, you know, I, I I I hear you, and I I I will feel into that for sure. I loved receiving that feedback. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, let's just
6: jump right in. What do you mean by ecstatic birth? versus <laughs> is- Oh.
10: Yeah, ecstatic birth is this idea that childbirth is a journey that a woman can enjoy, not just endure. You know, we live in a, a time and culture where our idea of childbirth is it's something that a woman has to endure to get the prize, the baby, right? And, you know, you, whatever we can do to kind of disassociate from the process or numb or avoid, you know, labor, that's what's happening on a global level in birth. You know, we see countries like Um, South Africa that have C-section rates of almost 90%. So ecstatic birth is this idea that childbirth can be one of the most empowering, transformative, and potentially one of the most pleasurable events in a woman's life. So I've become a really fierce advocate for that, having had, you know, a birth experience that was very traumatic and having to go through my own journey of reclamation uh, of the relationship between myself and my body and having had two subsequent births, the third of which I was, I was dancing through my labor. And it took me higher than I've ever been in my life. And after that, I, I felt like, you know, why didn't I know? Why didn't I know birth can be this good? I want women to know. So that is the essence of ecstatic birth. I want women to know that they can enjoy the journey of childbirth.
6: I called my mom and said, it's a baby girl. This was <laughs> 1986. So, of course, there were no sonograms. And she said, "Oh, when did you have her?" I said, "I don't know, ten minutes ago." She said, "What are you doing awake?" <laughs> and I said, "What do you mean? What am I doing awake?" She said, "Women cannot endure the pain of childbirth because that's what she's been told,
10: right?" Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I mean, if you look at our cultural heritage, our religious heritage, like the the mythology, the stories, the the stories that we tell each other as women, the stories that are perpetuated in the media, that's that's the message. That's the message that childbirth is this you know, emergency, this uh, really intense experience that women have to be rescued from.
6: Yes, I was reading a book trying to understand, understand foot binding, and it was a a novelization, um, but really focused on it. And the women there said that the reason that they bound their feet was to show that they could endure the pain of childbirth.
10: Oh, wow. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, the way I see it, and and, um, really, if you think about it, childbirth is part of the spectrum of our sexuality, right? How do you conceive the baby? You conceive the baby with your sexual body. So everybody understands that pleasure is a part of that. But somehow there's been a disconnect in terms of understanding that the birthing process is also a part of our sexuality, and you're also birthing the baby with your sexual body. The experience is just so much bigger but it holds that same potential for, um, you know, for bliss, for pleasure, for ecstasy that conception does.
6: It does. And there have been a few people, very few, who have been willing to put that word out. Who were yeah. some of your teachers about that?
10: Yeah, well, um I, one of my teachers is Regina Thomas Schauer, who wrote the book Pussy and is um, founded Mama Gina School of Womanly Arts, which is a school for pleasure in New York City. And I had the honor of being pregnant while at the school, and I thought to myself, Wow, this is interesting. Everything I'm learning about pleasure, the experience of pleasure, of learning to feel more pleasure in my body, of learning how to enjoy more orgasms or multiple orgasms, everything that I'm learning here. It's very similar to everything I'm learning about in my natural childbirth class. Um, you know, in my natural childbirth class, there was a lot of talk about breath and sound and movement and being really present in the body and really following every sensation. And I thought to myself, well, what if I prepare for my birth using everything I'm learning about pleasure? So that was, that was sort of the seed of it all. Um, Mama Gina was a big influence of mine. Dr. Christian Northrup, another one. Ina May Gaskin. Um, Deborah Pascali Bonaro, who created the beautiful documentary Orgasmic Birth, is a, is a mentor and colleague of mine. And, you know, I think that in the last 10 years, when I was, um, my youngest is now 12. And I remember at that time trying to dig up information about pleasure in birth and Googling and really being amazed that it felt like I was on the edge of information. There really wasn't much information about you know, women enjoying their birth experiences. There'd be maybe a line in a book about natural birth saying something like, some women experience heightened states of bliss, ecstasy, and orgasm in birth. But now, like in the last 12 years, there's been such a blossoming of that, you know, thanks in a large part to the documentary Orgasmic Birth and more and more women coming forward and sharing their stories and, you know, having this conversation about about birth. It's really um, you know, now if you Google pleasure in birth, ecstatic birth, orgasmic birth, you can hear stories, you can see videos, you can see pictures. It's really, it's really amazing.
6: Yes, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, in what ways can this be broadened so that it's not just about giving birth to a child?
10: Yeah, well, um, you know, the, it, what we're talking about when you're talking about birthing a child is you're actually talking about the process of creation, right? How do you go from, like, that desire, that desire to connect with another person, that desire for union, to conceive, and then to birth something that has never existed on the planet before uh, into form, right? So it's actually, you know, I call it the feminine cycle of creation, but maybe after our conversation tonight, I will reconsider that and call it female cycle of creation. It's actually not even female it's it's really about divine union it's about the merging merging of masculine and feminine energy to create something new and we have we all have that within us we all have masculine energy we all have feminine energy so what I don't have any masculine
6: energy of any kind in me every single cell in my body is double (laughs) x in female female everything I do is female nothing I do is masculine
10: well by masculine energy I mean like directed action so you mean cultural concept. sorry
6: you mean cultural concept, masculine, feminine, cultural concepts? Yes. I am female. Yes. You might look at me and see cultural concepts that you have in your mind, but you're wrong. Those are your cultural concepts. I am female. I mean, there's nothing male about me.
10: Well, I'm talking more about like how we um – how we how we function in the world so when you talk, i am when generative
6: about, in and of myself i do not need a male principle to create anything
10: you do not need a male yes but to create i am
6: female and female is self-generative men are not self-generative they need a female mm-hmm. to create something
1: Okay. It's as simple so, as
6: that. There is a difference between being a man and being a woman. It has nothing to do with masculine and feminine.
10: What, I, what I'm talking about is um, I hear you and I honor you and I, and I agree with you to an extent. But even as a female, there are masculine energies, right, and ways of being. What I mean by that is the process in the birthing process, there's the first phase of labor is a receptive phase. It's a, you're allowing... Um, so that's a cultural concept
6: that feminine you. is receptive, and that yes. masculine is active, and that's a yes. cultural concept. It's not a truth.
10: Okay. Well, I'm, is it okay if I play with those cultural concepts when I want to? When you understand your question, merely
6: cultural concepts, and they could be changed tomorrow.
10: Absolutely. Absolutely.
6: A hundred um, years ago, baby boys were dressed in pink because it was the color of war.
10: Pink was considered yeah.
6: the most masculine color. That's yeah. how cultural concepts change.
10: And three years ago, all the boys in my kids' class were wearing hot pink socks because that was in. So I hear you. Right. Yeah. But you. But your question was, how can we take this wisdom of birth and bring it into creating anything in life? So what What I would invite everyone to do is really look at the flow of, of uh, conception um, labor, delivery, postpartum, look at how that flows. And we can see when we're preparing for natural birth, when we're preparing for ecstatic birth, where we learn how to honor the body's processes, we can see areas in which um, there's wisdom to be gained for how we birth our creative project, how we birth you know, our soul's desires onto the planet. So I, I do a lot of work with women where we look at that biological blueprint of how a baby is, uh, called in, conceived, the labor happens and the birth happens and how it flows and the and how we use pleasure consciously in the birthing process, we use that similarly in birthing our, you know, our soul's desires, our, our soul's babies.
6: It's like my voice teacher who says you can't fake fun. You can't fake fun. He says you can fake a lot of things up to including sincerity, but you can't fake fun.
10: Well, yeah. You you,
6: you know if you're having fun or not.
7: Absolutely.
6: I mean, I've been – my sister was a midwife. (laughs) I've certainly been present at more than a few human births. And I've even been present at women who would say, oh, here's another labor. Uh, Pleasure. Oh, it's a great (laughs) pleasure. Ah, Oh, God, what a great pleasure. Ah." And you think, you know what? You're jiving me. You can call it a pleasure, but I see pain on your face.
10: Yes. And, um, you know, we've we've been trained to think, okay, if we work hard, if we work really hard and we focus and we concentrate and do what we have to do, we might get the reward of pleasure, right? That's sort of how we've been trained in this world to function. However, what we see in the process of labor and delivery is that you can actually use pleasure consciously. So it's not just a, oh, let me see if I feel pleasure in the birthing process. But when you experience intensity, what if you give yourself pleasure through movement, through sound, through breath, through touch, through your sensuality and through your sexuality? What if you were to give yourself pleasure? And rather for waiting for, rather than waiting for that reward, you use pleasure consciously as a tool. And what we find, and, and all the research is supporting this, and, is that actually what pleasure does, the experience of pleasure in your body stimulates oxytocin flow. And oxytocin is the governing hormone of labor and delivery. Oxytocin is What the pharmaceutical industry is trying to replicate with Pitocin, which is what they use to induce labor, which is what they use to move labor along. So what if you could use pleasure consciously when you're birthing your physical babies? And what if you could use pleasure consciously when you're also birthing, you know, your projects and when you hit those sticky spots of contraction and you can feel that in your body, whether it's a physical baby or. Uh, Or, you know, a project, we all hit those spots of, like, feel, like, tight and contracted. What if you use pleasure consciously as a tool to uh, access your flow in those moments? Really powerful. Love it. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, you know, in the physical act of birth, it helps transmute those sensations. The sensations that are intense, it helps transmute them from that realm of pain into the realm of pleasure. It helps... um, it helps uh, allow all of that massive energy flow to flow through your body. And that's why some women will experience feelings of transcendence and bliss and uh, even spiritually like a connection to all that is when they're in labor.
6: Do you know the work of Le Boyer?
10: Uh, Yeah, I'm familiar with him. Yes. Mm
6: -hmm. He is certainly an absolute pioneer in this, preceding all of the names that you mentioned, including Ina May.
10: Yes. Yes.
6: And I think we really have to give credit to the fact that a man was the first one to go public about ecstatic birth. (laughs) And to say, you know, that there are things that are needed for ecstatic birth. First of all, the woman must be allowed to be as alone as she wants to be.
10: Mm. Yeah.
6: And this is one of my main recommendations. Don't invite your mom. It's very hard to get her out of the room.
3: <laughs>
6: <laughs> only invite people that you can say, go away and shut the door. Sometimes for an ecstatic birth, sometimes to do the things you're suggesting, to move your body and to make those sounds. Yeah. For some women, they can only do that if they're totally alone.
10: Right, because it, it is it is a part of your sexuality, right? And to access yeah. those realms... Uh, in front of people that you're not comfortable accessing those realms in front of, can all of a sudden put you in a contracted state. Can put you in a state of resistance, it which is definitely. the exact opposite of what you want. And you want to feel my
6: my lover of thirty years, Fern, was also lovers with a very very dear friend of mine named Marie. And Fern um, didn't respond to the early signs of her cervical cancer because her mom. I had Alzheimer's and was walking down the street naked, and her life was just too full of her mom to pay attention to herself. So by the time that she realized what was happening with her cervix, she was basically as good as dead. Marie was able to go and stay with her and, and cook and be with her during the last months of her life, and I was able to get away for a short time. And when we were all three there, Fern said, you know, I have two vibrators, and I'd like to give them to the two of you. But in order to give these vibrators, what I want you to do is to take me and lay me on the bed. And then I want you to lay on either side of me and each take a vibrator and have an orgasm, and then I'll give you the vibrators. And Marie and I have taught sacred sex together. Hmm. Never been lovers. Hmm. And it it was so funny. You know, we colored up, we hemmed, we hawed, we like... (laughs) We can't do that. I tell you what, I'll lay on the floor and Marie can lay on the bed. And Fern looked at us and she said, "You're not the women I thought you were." <laughs> and Marie said, "I want to lay on the floor too." And so I laid on the floor on one side, Fern laid on the bed. We put Fern on the bed and Marie laid on the floor on the other side, and we had an or- our orgasms, right? And then we both went at Fern with the two vibrators. We had a good time.
10: <laughs> she was dead
6: "48 hours later."
10: Oh, that's quite a story. That's quite a story, you know. But it, it because, because
6: ecstasy is always part of it.
10: It's always part of it, and, always and you know,
6: part of it because it, we live in these amazing female bodies with clitorises that never age.
10: Yeah, they never atrophy. Um, and you know, your story brings to mind how many women, I you know, after hearing me speak or I've connected with them, will say to me, you know, something. I had an orgasm during my birth. But I was so ashamed I never told anyone because, you know, just like you felt uncomfortable in that situation, so many women have no idea that this is a part of the birthing experience. And even if they happen to have had that experience, you know, in the past, they would feel like they did something wrong, that they did, that they did, they did something perverse. And so a big part of, you know, spreading this word is helping women know, no, you did nothing wrong. There was nothing perverse. This is your body's design, and good for you. Good for you that you got to enjoy it in that way.
6: Yes. And if you need to kick everybody out of the room to make those sounds and to move your body, do it. Because your pleasure and your ecstasy in birth is more important than anybody else being in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was the one who said women need privacy, and they need darkness
10: hmm.
9: hmm.
6: Turn all the lights off. What's with all these lights? Because think of how many women, you know, give birth under these bright lights and then the baby is brought into this very brightly lit situation.
10: Yeah. Um, and you can think about, God, would you want to have an orgasm in that situation with those bright lights and all those people watching you? Would you want to be so open and so vulnerable in that situation? For most people, that's a big no.
6: For most people, that's a, uh, oh, I can't go there, you know. Now, my, yeah. sweetheart, my sweetheart was a, a porn film star. He has made over 100 X-rated movies. And so he can go there, but even he had his limits. They were filming one day, and they were taking people and said, what's your sexual fantasy? We'll film it. And this one man, his sexual fantasy was to be in a room full of inflatable dolls and to have an orgasm with the inflatable dolls. And so when they made his fantasy come true and put him in a room of inflatable dolls, he couldn't even get an erection. (laughs) And so Michael, my sweetheart, had to stand in for him. But they had, you know, he had been, you know, like jiggling it around with his hand. And so Michael's going to stand in for him and he starts doing it. And they go, no, cut, cut. He's left handed. You have to use your left hand. I (laughs) said, that's it. I can't do it. I cannot do it in this room full of blow up dolls with my left hand.
10: On demand. On demand. Come on, (laughs) right? Like we on all here, have, have our have fun, on the <laughs> <some> pleasure, on <laughs> orgasms. We don't function like that, but to a certain extent, in the birthing room, that's what women are going through. You know, that's one of the many reasons women are not enjoying childbirth because their body and their process aren't being honored. They don't have that privacy to really move and express, you know, they want it the way they want to. They don't, they're not being, um you know, honored as like a, a goddess really giving birth to new life on the planet. They're seen as victims that need to be rescued from the condition that they're in.
6: When I was giving birth, because I was fairly young and I didn't know I wasn't supposed to make noise and move my body. I did those things. Uh, which did in fact give me a lot of pleasure, but very distressing to the doctors. And so they wound <laughs> up using four inch thick leather straps to strap my arms and legs to the table. Oh, so I couldn't no. move.
10: Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that.
6: It was really quite, you know, I didn't even realize it. And, but let's think they already had a birthing table with straps on it.
9: hmm
6: hmm To invent this, they already had this ready. Now, I will tell you that when my baby came out of my vagina, I broke all the straps and sat up and t- grabbed her.
10: Wow. wow. I just
6: That's like, like Wonder Woman, just pop, 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 pop. <laughs> and as soon as I touched my baby, they said to me, if you... Don't stop touching your baby. We're going to sedate you so that you don't wake up for a week. Oh,
10: my gosh. Oh, my goodness.
6: So we are not in a worse place than we were in
10: 1966. No, that's for sure. And really are really... not.
6: I really okay. want women to understand we are in a better place. You know, I was told my baby would die if I breastfed her. I did everything against doctor's orders. I breastfed my baby. I had a natural birth. They Believe me, the hospital did not want me to do any of these things, and they did their best to absolutely interfere with that. And that's one of the things that Boyer says. He says birth is orgasmic. It is naturally orgasmic. And every culture that he has had anything to do with anywhere in the world has very strict rules to enforce the inability of women to have an orgasm during birth.
10: Hmm. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to highlight in your story is how deeply connected you are to your body, Mm. that you instinctually were moving, were sounding, you know, reached down to connect with your baby. Like, this is what a woman that is fully in her body will instinctively do in birth.
6: And what we can do as helpers is to make sure that she has the space and the support to do that. And so I so honor what you are doing and the other women that you mentioned (laughs) to really make this clear to women that as a group of women, we support your pleasure. And I really think that this is is perhaps the most important point here is that somehow as women, we think that other women don't want us to have pleasure. Mm
10: -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's evolving. I think, you know, the more women can share their pleasure with each other and be happy for each other, the more we can really transform the conversation. Because I think to a certain extent, there has been like a cultural habit of sharing war stories, right, around birth. And the woman that wanted to share about her pleasure felt like she might be, um, you know, not accepted or ostracized in some way. So yes, you're absolutely right. That is such an important statement to say, we support you. We support your pleasure. You deserve your pleasure. It's, it's your birthright. It's part of your biological process, in fact. Yes.
6: Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is one thing that any woman listening to you can do to put them on the path of pleasure?
10: Uh, just connect to your body. Really, that's, you know, m- most of us are trained to walk around with all of our energy in our heads, right? Our bodies are used as this means to move our head from place to place. And if you've ever, uh, you know, ever not eaten when you were hungry because you were too busy or ever, you know, delayed going to the bathroom because you were in the middle of something else, like, you know what I mean? So we've, we've kind of internalized this way of being, which means, uh, which, which tells us, you know what? the body's not important. Like our headspace is more important. So actually when you're birthing, whatever it is you're birthing, the most important thing is your connection to your body and learning to really feel the sensations in your body. So just a very simple meditation where you close your eyes and do a body scan, feel what's going on in your body, start feeling the sensations in your body because that's the language of the body. The language of the body is sensation. And so the more you can connect to that, the better you're going to be at understanding the body's messages, the body's wisdom, which, by the way, integrates all that intellectual wisdom as well. Um, But it also has access to primal wisdom. It has access to ancestral wisdom. It has access to experiential wisdom as well as your mental rational wisdom. So to start in whatever way feels good to you to connect to your body, to connect to the sensations, your feelings, space in your body, start being guided by that. Very simple decisions. Not what makes more sense, what feels better, you know. What should I eat for lunch? No. What would feel better? Start connecting to the sensations in your body. That is the m- most profound thing you can do to support your flow in birth, to support your flow in life, and to really start to understand that your body wants to feel good. Your body wants to feel good, and so if you, it's very simple. Um, the very simple guidance of like what feels better and to move in the direction of what feels better from any any given option. Is it's really powerful.
6: The Puritans hate you. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> for, sure. <laughs> for sure. Because basically what they believe is that you're supposed to be in pain and that the body is supposed to be a source of pain and that pleasure is suspect this is susan weed and i'm talking with sheila camera Hay. you can get in touch with her at ecstatic-birth.com that's e-c-s-t-a-t-i-c ecstatic away from stasis-birth.com is there any other way that people can get in touch with you and tell me about your programs
10: Oh, thank you so much, Susan. This has been such a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, you can find me pretty much on under any social media under the ecstatic birth handle. Um, I run programs for expectant moms who want to, you know, practice getting into their bodies, expanding their pleasure. I run uh, programs for birth practitioners who want to bring this to their clients. And I also support women who are birthing, you know, their soul's desires and their creative projects to tap into the cycle and use pleasure consciously um, to birth their creations. So yeah, you can find me at ecstatic-birth.com or really any social media account under the handle ecstatic birth.
6: Wow. Amazing. And what kind of programs would we find that you're offering?
10: Um, Well, if you're an expectant mom, I have a program called Oh Baby, which is all about what I was just saying, connecting to the sensations in your body, learning to feel the sensations in your body and be guided by that um, in life and in birth. I have another program uh, called the Ecstatic Birth Training Sessions where it's so many of my teachers and mentors sharing um, information, wisdom, practices to prepare uh, for your birth experience. And I run a year-long training for birth practitioners called the Ecstatic Birth Practitioner Training, where first and foremost, as uh, practitioners supporting women on this journey, we learn to embody the experience of pleasure for ourselves so then we can bring it to our clients really effectively. Um, I also offer one-on-one coaching, um, either, whether for expectant moms or women who are really birthing something big in their lives. We use the power of pleasure to fuel that.
6: Mm. I also wanted to share with you that one of the things that my lover Fern asked of Marie and I and anyone else who was interested was that we send her an orgasm every day. Mm. <laughs> and since psychic time is a little different than ordinary linear time, I said to her, you know, I may not really actually have the time for an orgasm every day, but I will give in, guarantee you seven a week. <laughs> this started. This started the seven orgasms a week, um, kind of like ten thousand steps a day, right? Or brush your teeth, mm-hmm. right? Have seven orgasms a week for your health. So, as we are ending the show, I would like to remind women that seven orgasms a week is a good goal. You can have them one a day, or you can save up and have seven <laughs> on Sunday. Um, it, it does not make any difference, but seven a week a good goal. And what would you like to leave in the hearts, the minds, and the birth canals of everybody listening?
10: Oh, uh, Susan, thank you so much. I love the seven orgasms a day. And yeah, I would. I the, the no, main week, thing I want. Don't
6: have seven a day. <laughs>
10: seven a day is even better. <laughs> <laughs> um, the main thing I would like to leave with women is that idea that like your body wants to feel good and to trust that and to follow that and to use pleasure. Pleasure is not just a reward, but to use pleasure consciously as a tool to support that feeling space within you, that's where you create from, that place of flow, that place of energy flow within your body.
6: All right. What a great assignment you've given us. Go forth and have (laughs) pleasure.
10: Go for Annie, and have fun. Annie pleasure. Sprinkle,
6: ask us to make a list of 10 things that give us pleasure and then to commit to doing at least three of them every day.
10: Mm, great assignment.
6: Great assignment. Let's, Let's do assignment. it.
10: Let's
6: do it. Sheila Camera Hay. Find her at ecstatic-birth.com. Anywhere on the Internet and probably in your dreams as well, thank you <laughs> for being such a vibrant reweaver of the healing cloak of the ancients. And reminding us that the goddess says, all acts of pleasure and beauty are in honor of me.
10: Oh, Thank you so much, Susan, for initiating this conversation, for holding forth in this forum, for playing with me in this way. I enjoyed every drop of it. Really fun thank you
6: really really fun sheila to be continued and thank you rebecca for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine it's the medicine that grows right Mm -hmm. outside your door we'll be back next week for more green blessings good night everybody good
7: night thank you everyone good night